Well, at the age of 47, uh, John Newton began writing a hymn that would grow increasingly popular over the next 250 years. Amazing Grace was originally written to illustrate a sermon of his on New Year's Day, 1773. And in the hymn, Amazing Grace, John Newton writes about a grace that is immense. He writes about an amazing grace which saved him out of his own wretchedness. John Newton became one of the most powerful evangelical preachers in British history, an ardent foe of slavery, and an author of hundreds of other hymns. Amazing Grace is easily one of the best-known hymns of the Christian church, estimated to be performed annually about 10 million times. Well, I am starting a sermon series today on the hymn Amazing Grace, and we're going to be looking at those individual verses over the next several weeks. And I thought the best way to look at the first verse would be to dive into a parable of Jesus from Luke chapter 15. So I invite you to follow along as I read this parable, and I'm going to split it in half. Read Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. Listen to this portion of God's word. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, a woman by the name of Frances Mays is a university professor who lives in San Francisco. And she reacted to her divorce by purchasing an old house in the countryside of Tuscany, Italy. And in her book, Under the Tuscan Sun, at home in Italy, she tells about her adventures of renovating her house that she called Bramasol, which in Italian means to yearn for. 
Now, much of her book describes her incredible frustration of having to leave Brahmasol in order to return to that academic life in San Francisco where she has to live nine months out of the year, meaning that she is away from the place that she yearns for a lot more than she's actually able there to enjoy it. The parable of the prodigal son is probably one of those beloved parables that Jesus told. And I have a feeling that I know why. We're all frustrated in some shape or form in being away from our own personal Brahma soul. We're all lost, wanting to be found. We're all yearning to come home. I'd like for us to take a closer look at this parable as I finish the story that Jesus told. Once again, it is from Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32, I invite you to follow along on the screen. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are our hope in crisis. You are our friend in loneliness. You are our light in the darkness. We thank you for your power and your presence, but even more wonderful is the fact that you come now to address us through your holy word. Awaken every heart here today so that we might discover the reality of your unconditional love and amazing grace. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen. There was a man who had two sons. Our story begins with peace and quiet. God is in heaven and all is right with the world as Ward, June, Wally, and the beaver are living the good life in the suburbs. It's a church directory portrait of a perfect family who is all together. But things are not quite as they appear. We read that the younger son says, Father, give me my share of the estate. Uh-oh. There is trouble brewing inside the white picket fence of that Norman Rockwell house. That young man is itching to get out of there. He is bored with his life on the family farm. He's been on the websites which show all the hot spots 
for him to visit. He wants to venture out and live life in the fast lane. Have you ever had your own version of that fantasy? Have you ever had a burning desire to escape from the petty hassles? By that I mean deadlines and bills and schedules and your job, your children, your spouse, and just get away from it all. In his hit song, Margaritaville, Jimmy Buffett, who just died this past week, sings those memorable lyrics, nibbling on sponge cake, watching the sun bake, all of those tourists covered with oil. Smell those shrimp, they're beginning to boil. Have you ever sung that song, at least in your mind? Ever had that desire to get out from underneath the obligations and the responsibilities and the pressures of life and waste away in Margaritaville? Well, the young man in our story lives out this dream. Now, just imagine with me the audacity that it took to go to his father and say to him, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance right now. In that culture, it would be as if you went up to your father and said, Dad, I wish you were dead so that I could have my cut of the estate. Can you imagine for just a moment the hurt inside that dad? Maybe you are someone who knows that hurt because you have felt that hurt as a parent. Or maybe you know that hurt because you have caused that hurt to your parents. The Bible in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 says, We are all like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. Friends, we dare not look at this parable without realizing what it teaches us about the character and nature of God. This father has his son come to him with his harebrained scheme in which not only will he lose his son, but a major portion of his net worth. And yet, what does the father do? Does he get his financial advisor to draw up some papers to shelter that inheritance and put it in a trust fund until the son turns 25? Does he lock all the doors and windows and take away the keys to prevent him from leaving? No, this softy of a father, it says, divided his property between them. This father does the very thing that parents have the hardest thing doing, and that is letting go. In an old episode of the TV show, The Wonder Years, Karen is this rebellious teenager who has driven her parents and especially her dad nuts. And she really does it one time when she wants to go out with her friends instead of staying home to celebrate her 18th birthday with her family. Let's take a look and see what happens. Here it comes. Everybody sing. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Karen. Happy birthday to you. There it was. 18 years of hopes and memories poured into 80 ounces of egg whites and sugar and wax. It was enough to melt anybody's heart. Except maybe my sister's. There's my ride. Gotta go. 
And I guess that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Not so fast, you're staying here. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I'm leaving, Daddy. And even though I'd been hearing those words for weeks, suddenly I was hearing something new. Or maybe it was as old as children, and parents, and families. You're not going until you open this. <clears throat> What is it? Open it. It's my kit bag from the core. Uh, I was going to get you, uh, you know. No one. I thought you'd like this better. It's uh, for college. Murphy goes someplace. Either way, you gotta have something to put your clothes in. And uh, this one got me through a lot of rough times. I love it. These two? the morning sky Hey All the birds are leaving You make a wish night of my sister's 18th birthday, a lot of things happened, maybe more than she knew, because that night, when my father let Karen go out, he let Karen go. And maybe that's how it had to be. Children leave, and parents stay behind. Still, some things are deeper than time and distance. And your father will always be your father. And he will always leave a light on for you.
clip a million times it still gets me now who wants to have the picture taken <laughs> you know it wasn't easy for the dad in our story either in fact as soon as that young man leaves the house and goes out waving one last time before he disappears over the hill he leaves a hole inside of his father's soul the size of the grand canyon and that is the theme of all three of the parables that Jesus told in Luke 15. There's the parable of the lost sheep, there's the parable of the lost coin, and there's the parable of the lost son. And we can only grasp the meaning of this parable this morning when we discover just how much God loves us. That we are not some blips on a divine computer screen. We are his sons. We are his daughters. The uh, 20th century theologian, Karl Barth, after writing thousands and thousands of pages in his church dogmatics, came up with one simple definition for God. He defined God as the one who loves. And so every day that boy is gone, that father climbs up the hill and shielding his eyes from the sun, he scans the horizon for his beloved child to return home. Well, meanwhile, the young man arrives at one of the urban centers of that day and he has no clue what he's doing without his father's rules but with his father's money which is a lethal combination it says he squandered his property in dissolute living that's luke's g-rated sanitized version of things the older brother would later say that he wasted it all on prostitutes which sounds a lot like what an older brother would say but either way, both make it clear that he spent all that he had because without his father's rules, no curfew, no limits, no boundaries. Listen to these haunting words from the singer Randy Stonehill. We are all like foolish puppets who desiring to be king now lie pitifully crumpled at their cutting our own strings. Think about it for just a moment. What has indulging his instincts gotten him? The genius of this parable is in the poetry of its words because after living like an animal, he winds up living like an animal, living in a pigsty, eating slop. And it begins to dawn on him, you know, maybe things weren't really so bad at home after all. The young man says, I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. And he starts rehearsing his speech to, to soften the old man's heart. Make sure he gets the tone and the inflection just right. And Oh, if he ever could get a tear to roll down his cheek, that would be perfect. Ah, uh, Dad so sorry because you see uh things just did not work out the way i had hoped here's a question for you how does god feel about people who go out tell him to get lost run amok wreck their lives and then come crawling back on their hands and knees begging for a second chance jesus gives the answer 
And I love the way he describes the scene. While he was still far off, his father saw him. One day, dad sees this moving dot on the horizon. It hardly looks like anyone he knows, but the image sure looks familiar. It's his son. Now, most scholars have called this the pivotal moment in the parable. Many have called this the parable of the waiting father. I don't think so. What makes this the greatest of Jesus' parables is that it's not the parable of the waiting father. It's the parable of the running father. When he saw him, he ran to his son. The late Ken Bailey was a New Testament scholar who spent years telling the stories of Jesus in remote villages in the Middle East. And one day, Ken Bailey was sitting around with some sheep herders and farmers, and he's telling them the parable of the prodigal son. And he told them the part of how the father, seeing him at a distance, ran to his son. And the men in the village couldn't believe it. And they actually got furious. They said, oh, that man lost his dignity, running through the streets, his robe kicking up around his thighs, exposing his legs, a first century no-no. It would be shameful and disgraceful. He would be the laughing stock of our village. No father would ever run to his son. It would not happen. My friends, I'm here to tell you it did happen because that's who God is. Our father is one that we should never be afraid to return to because God's arms are always extended. He's got a grin from ear to ear. He's got tears of joy streaming down his cheeks. And God shouts your name at the top of his lungs and he runs to you and embraces you with an industrial strength hug too deep for words. Well, I just love what happens next. The poor kid does not even get a chance to finish his sentence. He says, make me like one of your hired, the father says, chill son, let's have a party. That father does not say what most fathers would say, well, I hope you learned your lesson, or you made your bed, now you're going to have to sleep in it, or the dreaded, I told you so. Instead, that father says, quick, bring the best robe. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf. Let's eat and celebrate. He heaps upon his son every expression of unconditional parental love. And friends, that is why Jesus came. Jesus did not come to turn bad people into good people. He came to turn lost people into found people. That is what the first verse of this hymn we are studying is really all about. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Well, the son is thoroughly confused. He's emotionally off balance. He forgets half of his speech. All he gets out is, his Father, I have sinned. He never gets to say, treat me like one of your hired hands. Because he's not a hired hand but he is and always will be a precious son, an heir of God. As the Christian author Philip Vancey says, it is another shocking reminder that grace does not depend upon what we have done for God, but rather what God has done for us. Unfortunately, the parable is not over, although we wish it were. 
because along comes the older brother, the proper, punctual, perfect older brother placed in the story to represent the scribes and Pharisees who refused to enter heaven's celebration over the return of a sinner or any sinner because you know why? It just isn't fair. It's not fair. And while his younger brother has been out guzzling beer, he's been eating his peas and carrots. And as he approaches the house, he hears the stereo blaring. He peeks inside the window and he sees a party that looks like New Year's Eve, the 4th of July, and the Mardi Gras all rolled into one. And the more he sees, the more angry and bitter he becomes, especially when he finds out that the party is for his younger brother. And he turns to his father and says, let me understand this, Dad. Junior in there went off and blew all of his money on sex and drugs and rock and roll, and you throw him a party? Am I missing something here? Maybe I need to become a prodigal. Maybe, maybe I need to do something like that so I can get something out of the deal. And then the father reminds his responsible older son, all that is mine is yours. And the father invites the older son to come home, come home to the place of joy. Come home to the place where love isn't earned, but it's given away. Come home to the place where those who are lost in unhealthy, selfish desires join with those who are lost in the sins of pride and self-righteousness. Come home to the place where the grace is always extravagant and amazing. I think the point that Jesus is making is not to be right or to be careful or to get a good job in life, but to come home to the Father's farm. And friends, we can only get there by grace. As that dad says, we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This morning, God invites you to come home because wherever you are and wherever you've been, the father is standing at the top of the hill and he's scanning the horizon for a sign of your return. And when he sees you, he will run to you and he will hug you and he will clothe you and he will feed you and he will restore you and he will forgive you and he will celebrate you all night long until the cows come home. And so, what are you waiting for? Come home to the Father's farm. Come home into the Father's arms. Come home and claim the identity that is ours by grace. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Gracious Father, some of us are prodigals who have a hard time finding our way back home because we are blinded by our own sins of selfishness. Others of us behave a lot like older brothers who are home, but not really home. Help us to discover that the far country is not a measure of distance, but an attitude of the heart. Give to us the vision of the Holy Spirit to see that home is always as close as your own outstretched arms. Thank you, O oh God, for loving us enough to run to us when we finally turn around and come back to you. 
And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray these things. Amen.